You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, sponsored by Broken Egg Games. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 155 of Line of Sight. My name's Chandler. I'm here with Brett. Hey, I'm here. Jaden abandoned us. Yeah, and I didn't get a migraine. (laughs) Says the guy who hasn't been here for a couple weeks. Yeah, (laughs) yep, yeah. No, yeah, last week I was like, you know, I I could sit down in a chair and look at a bright screen for like an hour and a half, or I could lie on my couch and hate life. Yeah, it just passed between the two of you. I I didn't get a turn. Um, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's good times. Uh, honestly, no, I've had a headache like all week, but I'm just powering through at this point because we lost Jaden. To be fair, Jaden is working on Fallen Corvus, which we all appreciate. Yeah, we basically gave him a, a break so that he could do work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's where we're at in order to get some things. that He's working on the Hordes stuff for uh, Fallen Corvus. And, spoiler alert, Wolves of Arboros will pierce the thickest of armor. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, literally as a joke, we're fixing that <laughs> once and for all. <laughs> just, just because we can. Who's going to stop us at this point? Uh, <laughs> this is our, it's ours now. It's like the I am the captain now. Uh, yeah. Okay, news. Uh, IKRPG is a thing. God, it's doing so incredibly well. Yeah, it's popping it broke, off pretty it hard. 400k? Uh, it was right on the edge of it last I checked. I'm oh gonna I'm gonna bring it up while I'm talking here, but yeah, it's been absolutely exploding. It's, it's fantastic, especially like if you compare it to like the last like Warcaster Kickstarter did like 200k I yeah. think, which and there were models in it. Yeah, uh, it, it is admittedly somewhat understandable because part of it is that like fifth edition is the most accessible like played tabletop RPG in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a system that is like very, very, and the other thing, honestly, I think that the price of it is phenomenal mm-hmm. for like a hundred bucks for like three pretty dense books, full PDFs, GM screen, and like all the little add-ons and stuff that they're adding that, that are getting in there. Incredibly good. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it so far. Um, we've had a lot of really fun updates. They showed off a couple of classes. We've seen like the gun mage. We've seen the warcaster mostly. Um, their stretch goals kind of keep just they keep having to add them because <laughs> it just keeps going up. And some of them I'm excited about. Uh, you know, they're a little hit and miss, but welcome to stretch goals. Fairly typical, but yeah, there's some really fun digital extras. A lot of little things. I, I'm just excited to see like. We're gonna actually have the world fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah, post infernals. <clears throat> yeah, because that was the thing is like back in the day, like IKRPG was like the biggest lore dump there was, right? Because it was like, hey, here's an actual setting. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're actually gonna tell you a lot about the world rather than just these like novelizations and random little things we got all the time. And so this is the next big one of those, basically, since Oblivion, especially. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, IKRPG is killing it. Uh, I'm really excited to... Uh, I'm kind of actually already starting like the, the early process of writing campaign stuff for it. I obviously don't have it, but so I don't know what the rules are and stuff, but I do know 5th edition well enough to write in it and then tweak accordingly. Um, I'm going to have to learn 5th edition, aren't I? 
It's really easy. Okay. <laughs> it's a super <laughs> simple system. Um, it's part of what I like about it. It's very, very easy and very, like, see, malleable. The last, the last time I played 5th edition was in the Gen Con playtest. <laughs> when it wasn't even out yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had played it kind of around then, like, shortly after that, probably. And then, like, for a very short time. And then I didn't play for a couple of years. But um, it's a really good system. It's extremely, like... It's just smooth to run is a lot of it. It doesn't have a lot of the crunchy stuff some systems have, but it's like just really easy, <laughs> which yeah, can be advantageous. Right. Uh, yep. And then <laughs> the Crucible Garcia ID yet. We're waiting on that. Um, mm-hmm. But we got spoilers on the slaughterhouse. Um, yeah. So it apparently has a drag gun and megalith animus, which is insane on a huge base. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It should be really I interesting. I, good. I don't have the full details, so go check it out on the meta. That's where they interviewed Hungerford. I believe that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that that is correct. Um, I'm trying to check. One second. I should have checked this ahead of time because I was just excited to talk about Requiem. Oh God! Um, Kickstarter. I'm gonna buy things. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> it's, it's a bad idea. Um, another thing, this is kind of a random thing, but uh, so Souls has been doing um, insiders going over lore stuff for Warcaster. And I hadn't actually looked into them that much because they hadn't talked about ISA yet. <laughs> so I was like, I don't care. Uh, but they talked about ISA finally, and these are actually quite long. <laughs> there's, oh there's a lot of stuff in them. Uh, and it's it's pretty interesting. I think it's going to be a fun world to kind of see fleshed out a little bit. But if yeah, if you go check out the Private Press website, uh, they've got an insider up from Souls where he talked about it a little bit. Did they also uh, show some concept art. Uh, yeah, a little while back, I think. There, yeah, there was some concept art of some pretty cool looking stuff. Um, like, I'd say Warjack that had little drone buddies. I don't know if I've seen that. I'll have to take well, a look. We'll find it. <laughs> well, already, maybe I will. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. let's move on to our real topic then. Yeah, well, getting very close to our real topic, they also oh, no. like showed the full painted, uh, like because he's up for sale is the the lion boy for Monpak Cassandra. Yeah, I love that model. <laughs> really? I think he's so cool. I want one for my. So I'm running a, a Theros D and D campaign. Mm. It's a very Greek setting, and I really want this guy for that. Like, I feel like he's a really good mini for it. I don't know. I think he's super cool. I don't like most of the rest of that faction, but I think the lion guy is really cool. Uh, anyway, so speaking of Monpak, so uh, as a number of people have, <clears throat> anybody who uh, like listens every week will have noted that we've been bringing on guests from uh, various casts, things like that, uh, from our uh, lineup of casts that are hosted on the Line of Sight website. Uh, and, uh, as we've talked, you know, with, um, a lot of different people, we've talked with Charge and Spike, we talked with, uh, Mr. Class, uh, and yeah, all kinds of, and, all and kinds some, of fantastic Some people. jerks who played Legion. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, uh, today we have Mr. Michael Ireland on here to talk with us a little bit, uh, from Vicarious Competition. How's it going, man? Hey guys, how you doing? Glad to be on. Fantastic. Uh, so, do you want to? So yeah, go this ahead. is the the ten minute podcast, right? Yeah, that was a, Correct. Yeah. So you know, ten, sometimes fifteen minutes. Okay. Well, um, thanks, yeah. You know, I, I try on. to keep it short. Yeah, and, and digestible. Well, thanks for coming on. That's been ten minutes. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Like six. 
<laughs> oh, okay. I have way. <laughs> I would like to applaud your succinctness. I'm incapable of talking about any topic for less than 45 minutes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about Vicarious Competition? Yes. So um, Vicarious Competition is kind of um, something I've been turning over, uh, and I've kind of uh, launched and relaunched in various uh, capacities. I think I'm kind of happy where it is now. Uh, the show is just a 10 to 15 minute kind of ride to work type uh, podcast. It's guaranteed to be the worst produced podcast that you've ever heard because that's not really my forte and I, I work on it alone. But the the goal is the consistency and the content. You know, uh, it's five days a week, little 10 episode or 10 minute episodes. Uh, when I came up with the concept and started it, I did not know that. Mark Rosewater does exactly the same thing. So, uh, you know, that was fun to find out after the fact that, that I'm just doing the, the magic guys thing, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, he can share it with me. I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> but uh, if, if you didn't steal ideas from the people who make magic, how would, how would you even do gaming? <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah, uh, the, the goal of it was just to bring the, um, the competitive light into to Monpoc, you know, that was my thing in War Machine. You know, I've always been a competitive miniatures player, um, and I think Monpoc doesn't quite get the uh, love and attention from the competitive community that it deserves. Yeah, well, and I'm a huge fan of Monpoc, and um, like, and I I actually like it competitively, and I think it also works for fun, which is really rare in the in a game. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and that's kind of the thing is that uh, when you're looking at a, at a game from like a core fundamental design, you know, the game needs to be fun to lose. You know, and I think that's, that's something that, that a lot of developers get uh, kind of lost in the sauce, you know, especially when you have these head to head type games. You know, it's like every single game, there's a winner and a loser. And if it's only fun when you're winning, then like 50% of your player population is immediately like alienated. Mm -hmm. Well, and then it starts the spiral against competitive players because the competitive players are the ones who's winning more. And so you hate playing against them more. And so you kind of like get, get these negative feelings. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it helps like, I, I feel like one of the big strengths of Monpak and being able to be like you can make it a competitive type of game that's still going to be just fun to kind of dick around with because at the end of the day it's giant monsters throwing each other at buildings mm -hmm. absolutely yeah <laughs> you know and all the monsters are kind of fundamentally the same right you know everybody has like a brawl most of them have a blast and everyone can do the throws so you have this kind of uh, generalness that makes it really accessible and really easy for people to jump in Oh, that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, because all the special rules are just shades on top of that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um. The the drum that I've been beating is I keep comparing it to fighting games, or more specifically, like a Super Smash Brothers kind of in miniatures mm. form. In that, uh, you know, anybody can jump in, and you just throw on all the items and random, uh, you know, random maps, and then you know people can just play with their friends and have a good time. But yeah. if you really want to take a deep dive into it you know, then, then all of a sudden, like you're worried about vulnerable frames and, uh, you know, attack distances and all this other crunchy stuff that like, you know, somebody Wave that dashing. doesn't do that, would it even notice, you know, they're like, how can you tell all that stuff, you know, but the, yeah. the details are there for the people that are looking for it. 
Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So I think to kind of establish like the, the perspective, I guess, that, that we're coming at this from. So you, uh, of course, have been doing a, a competitively focused podcast. Brett, uh, I know, has been out of it for a little bit, as have many people, uh, <laughs> given the nature of the universe at the moment. Uh, but I know, Brett, you were playing it fairly competitively, actually, uh, for a bit mm-hmm. there. Um, well, yeah, thanks to the pandemic, I'm the only person to have won the War Machine Weekend. Yeah, that's that's why I, yeah, I've still referred <laughs> to you as the, as the uncontested best Monpoc player in the world, even though you haven't played it in like a couple of months. Um, <laughs> I want to turn to six people there. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, whereas my perspective is uh, I, I got into the game very suddenly and kind of on accident, um, where I just kind of ended up with some models and was like, oh, I guess I have to play this now. And then I played it and was like, this is actually a really great time. So I have a ton of Monpox stuff, but I've only ever played it very, very casually. Um, I kind of just go, I like how these look. I like the mole people because they go fast and under things. And that's fun. Uh, <laughs> that's been the extent of my thought process for the most part. Um, that's kind of where we're, we're coming at this from. So I guess from like the like, I don't know, I guess introduce us to, to competitive mon- Monpox. Yeah, so, I mean, you guys are laughing at, at your kind of origins, and you're saying, well, I like this thing, so I'm going to start with this. But that's actually something that you could do with <laughs> Monpop, you know, and, and that's like a great segue into it. Uh, Privateer Press has been really focused on expanding laterally, because the game is divided into the two buckets. You have the protectors, or the good guys, and the destroyers, or the bad guys. And everything is interchangeable within that. So, you know, it, it really expands their their kind of design space that way, you know, because you're not having to worry about satisfying a, a ton of different factions. You know, while they do have factions and there's granularity within that, you know, you can start kind of almost wherever you want. Uh, you know, there's a couple of exceptions. There's a couple of monsters that are a little behind the curve, but, you know, the general consensus among competitive players is that you about 80 to 85% of the monsters in the game are we say playable with a plan right you know if you want to practice a little bit and, and coordinate with like a good partner uh, monster to pair it with about 85 percent is playable with a plan so their design has been to just make as many cool figures uh, as they can and people can pick up whatever kaiju you know goofy trope movie trope they like and expand out their collection from there right yeah, that's, that's got to be the primary draw, right? Is that there's such a huge variety of models that you just Absolutely. pick the one you like. Yeah, there's a huge variety, but you don't need, like, all of them. You know what I mean? Like, you can kind of pick a thing you like and focus mm-hmm. in on that. Which 100%, is definitely, yeah. definitely helpful. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's really, really great. They've been very careful with the power <laughs> creep, you know, and, and making sure. And again, because the fundamentals are the same across all the monsters... You know, you don't have, you know, these kind of huge disparities. You know, there there is details and there is a lot of variety to the play style. But, you know, the fundamentals are there. And you can go back all the way to the Monpox starter boxes are, I think, some of the best uh, product Privateer Press has put out. I mean, they're up there mm-hmm. with like the Mark III starter boxes because uh, particularly the Destroyer side, the Gorgadra monster is like, really really competitive uh choice you know an attractive choice i mean you can i won a tournament with him um i think two uh tts they're, they're doing the tabletop simulator tournaments uh with the starter box monster in my pair 
you know, which, mm-hmm. which shows a lot, you know, having been out for as long as it has been, that you can still do stuff like that. Yeah. And Defender X isn't terrible either. Um, they're they're he, making new starters, right? They are, yeah. So the new starters uh, have been spoiled. Uh, we have the solicits for them. Uh, we have the monsters. Okay. They're doing a um, Hurricaneus for the protector side. So they're fleshing out the elemental champions. She's coming with um, some fire commies and I think a tornado little elemental unit. <laughs> um, awesome. And she's going to be super cool. And the destroyer side have uh, Hungerfur's giant bee. So the <laughs> Dinus Davis is like a bee wasp monster and comes with some like little ants and a spy fly who's adorable. Uh, and, and they're expanding out that way. So um, He's the only bug, right? Oh, no, we have there's one guy, right? You have Zizorax, who is the horn beetle. So yeah. and that's from the Savage Swarm fact then. So. They're kind of expanding out, giving people new options. Uh, you hear that a lot. People, um, they want to start the game, but they don't necessarily want the starter box. So I think more starter box options is going to be good. And it's going to come with new maps, which is really going to change the oh, dynamic of, yeah, uh, you know, how normal and competitive games play. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so there's three branches we need to go off right now. So let's, yeah, let's right. since, you hit, since since you hit maps, let's talk about those right now. Let's talk like I. That's one of the things I found fascinating when I first went to a tournament is instead of just randomly picking a map, you you ch- the the person who goes second, I don't remember. Um, yes. One of the players chooses a map, and that drastically changes how the game works. Huge. Yeah, uh, we can draw, because I'm sure there's a lot of War Machine players in this uh, podcast. The equivalent would be if the second player gets to choose which scenario you're playing for the round. Um, the maps are hugely important, and that's where a lot of the details that people don't notice in the maps. Um, some really easy examples, even if you're not familiar with the game, is you have you know, the different objectives on the board, uh, particularly the power nodes, which help generate your power dice, which is the focus equivalent. Mm-hmm. And the distance that those spaces are from your unit spawn points is very important. You know, because you might have slower units that can get to some spaces, but not others, and then faster units that can reach to more forward points. And already you're starting to, like, think about then that carries over into list construction. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, my gosh, I need more speed six units so that I can get, you know, to these farther spaces on these certain maps. And it kind of spirals from there, you know, and, and you're getting into, like, these really, really competitive you know, thought processes, you know, and things that are going to matter and help influence the outcomes of the game right at list construction. Right. Yeah. And and so, and the maps aren't that hard to come by. You do have to get, most of them have paper versions, right? So they did paper versions for the starter boxes, um, mm-hmm. but the they've moved to neoprene for the new maps. Okay. Um, you, you know, which is a little bit more of an upfront cost, but yeah. Uh, only half of the players need to have the maps, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at any given event, really. That's true. Um, so that's something that, you know, if you're a newer player, you can definitely skimp out on uh, until you kind of sink your teeth in a little bit more. And if you're planning on having one map that makes your list better, you can just bring it as part of your list construction, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like, if you wanted like, to, like, you certainly could do that. For example, I definitely made sure to bring the volcano. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, so you can do that for sure. And the starter boxes, again, they come with double map, uh, a double-sided map. So even if you're just getting a starter set, you have a little bit of variety with that one. Yeah. And 
maybe it's changed since I've played, but I feel like those starter maps were played in probably more than half of games. Yeah. Yep. No, there's there's still reasons to to play on the starter maps. I mean, you know, different players have different preferences, but uh, that's definitely you know something that you can focus in on. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I know I definitely like when I first was kind of getting into it and when I was talking to Brett about it, especially because he was like the only one I knew who played a lot uh, was like when we got talking about maps and like how how much the like positioning of where buildings can be basically determines like the pacing of damage throughout an entire game. And I was like, oh, no, this actually has more to it than I thought it did. <laughs> like, there's, there's actually things to think about. Shit. <laughs> yeah, you're going to repeat that phrase a lot. So I, I didn't mention, but like the way the demo process always goes, I lure them in. Like, do you like throws? Do you like throwing monsters into things? That's literally the only thing that matters in this game. And then they start playing and then you're like, well, you can optimize it slightly by doing this. And then like, if especially for warmer two players, their brains start worrying. And mm-hmm. they start right. destroying it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and those types of play patterns yeah, are, are where, where it starts to come out, you know. Um, and I will say the, the game, you really need to, to jump in, like, to almost need to do a full full play or, um, you know, or watch a full game plate. Uh, but, you know, because the demo games are typically, you just put a monster, you know, and then the, the person that's demoing gets a monster, you give them some units, and they get to, like, run around and see the mechanics. Mm-hmm. But when you only have a single monster, the only thing you're thinking about is like, don't stand in a bad place. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember <laughs> when they were first showing the game off, uh, like really early on. Uh, they they did one monster games for like multiple streams. They did a number of streams that that were one monster games. And I recognized really early on, I was like, this is a totally different game with two monsters. I was like, because all this really is is like. This is just a game of damage tug of war, basically. It was like just kind of a damage yep. race where it was like whoever gets, you're both going to be kind of doing one or two more than the other person until you're at zero, and yep. that's all the game is. And I was like, they need, they need to get, because a lot of people started losing interest. I noticed it during those yeah. streams, and I was like, it's... you guys need to not worry about painted minis and just get second monsters on the table right now. Yeah. I... It's it's a totally different game, you know, because exactly like you said, you know, the one on one and the one monster games is just, you know, it, it is. It's just like a punch fest, you know. So oh, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you. Like nobody lines up. Nobody can really get thrown unless you make a you know big mistake. So, but when you have the two monsters, you know, the first monster takes you from a good place and it puts you in a bad place, and then you're like, oh no. So then you know you have these like exponential like. Uh, options that you have you know it's just like because you're getting moved twice it just gets crazy yeah it's way more than twice especially when you start like i we you and i michael played a game and you're like well i'm setting up a screen like this so that you can't do this kind of thing i'm like i never even thought of that play that's really good (laughs) (laughs) yep so yeah and you you have options you know and that kind of plays into the unit game and they're there to support the monsters you know and and you have different positioning options and and all this stuff um it it really does the more time you spend with it the more the deeper you sink into it uh the more things start to unlock and and click in and, and you really start to you know scratch those like crunchier itches you know that you have as a competitive player and I feel like the game is still relatively new, so there isn't like a like an enormous skill gap between the top and bottom. 
like it's it's pretty easy to catch up there's only a couple of like high-end players and most of them are talking about what they're doing anyways <laughs> absolutely yeah uh we haven't so now i'm trying to think just so i'm giving like accurate information there i don't think there have been any like big secret surprise lists uh for mm-hmm. for that exact reason you know the the top players are very engaged in the community um and the the struggles that newer players might have or they might run into are are very teachable you know there's like uh we just had a local guy that picked it up he came from war machines so he's like a competitive guy you know has like a good eye for it and came into the monpox scene and after about like two weeks of of getting you know a couple i think he played like maybe five or six games in that period and he's already starting to click the gears and he's like okay you know like i lost this way last time so i'll just do x y and z to correct that and now he's sending me like all these weird theory craft lists and all this stuff. It's great. He's like loving it. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I think the Monpok demo process is very long because you kind of have to do the one monster and then finally you get to the real game. But this from demo to competitive play, I think is extremely short, especially compared to War Machine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's hard to demo it to a competitive player. Um, I, I think that's a fair, you know, a casual player is going to love it no matter what, because, you know, you just move your stuff forward, let them throw you around and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for but me, it, when, it I got, a... when I got my stuff, I literally was like, listen, I've watched the streams. I'm going to put two monsters on the table. That was my first game. I just put two down. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Yep. Don't worry about it. And yeah, that felt fine to me. I feel like if you have somebody who is like very engaged with war games and stuff like that and like gets how they work, you there's a decent chance you can skip that if uh, if you if, if you know if, them and feel like you can get away with it. If you can get them to read the rule book and understand like all the various power attacks. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. That's yeah. really that's really all you're teaching in the demo. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that that's true. The demo showcases the power attacks, and that's really been the population that my podcast is geared towards. Uh, you know, I mean, I hope lots of people listen to it, but uh, it's it's built around you know the existing war gamers you know, that just haven't given Monpok a fair chance, you know, or, or haven't seen why it can be a, a good and competitive game. Which, so I try to on, focus a lot on those types of things. And I don't blame people who play Privateer Press games and who tried um, Company of Iron and High Command or like, maybe maybe we shouldn't try their other games. Right, yeah. No, well, that's, for, for th- sure. this, this version of Monpok was pretty, like, pretty early on in their, like, the, the mess of kind of new games they've been putting out that are actually, like, good <laughs> yep. to me. and yes. and so i mean i definitely when mombach was coming out i was like i'm very interested in this but like privateer press's track record with like secondary games has been really wild yeah uh, has not been good and the launch was anemic too um yes. you know i, I yeah. felt like the the launch was a little rushed for mombach and they didn't quite have the models um because they were still pushing that single monster uh, as an option and now it's like one-on-one monster almost isn't even it almost like barely a game. a game. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's it's just too skewed by certain choices and and different things, and it's like you gotta have two. Yeah, and but they're they're still releasing a ton of stuff. Tons know, of yeah. stuff every yeah. month. Yeah, I I feel like they sold out of all all the stuff when it wasn't even. And they're like, oh, we have made a mistake, and they mm-hmm. started releasing a ton of stuff like six months after that. Yeah. It's been really popular, yeah, and and I think it's been a successful product line for them. Just talking with staffers, you know, back when we were able to go to conventions and stuff, you know, I think the sentiment was was um pretty positive from them. You know, they it was a good product and people were buying it. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So then the other the other things that I want to talk about were the units. So then um, I've seen a lot of people bounce off the units because they don't quite understand what they're there for. They they're not nearly as thematic or cool as the monsters, and you kind of up you kind of end up taking a smorgasbord of like this one super good thing and his friend, and then like this other box. <laughs> it's like, do you, do you have anything to say about competitive units? Yeah, so competitive units, um, that is a little bit trickier. The important thing to keep in mind is that the game is showcased about like these kaiju battles, you know, and that reflects in the, the unit component. Um, it is not really a war game. So that's one of the first things that you kind of need to compartmentalize and understand. Because, because like you said, people are going to expect like these big, exciting unit turns, and, and they're just chaff, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> They're there to do some stuff, and, and everything has um, can combine attacks with other things. So when you really need to get work done in a certain area, you can just like gang up and do one thing. But like a really successful unit turn, you can dedicate your whole activation to doing a single point of damage to a monster. You know, whereas a monster throwing another monster into a double building is five damage. Right. So that's the the first piece you know and and i think you have to kind of understand you know know their place so to speak and that the units are secondary and that yeah and it's fine if your units aren't like 100 percent super optimal because they're not going to be doing the bulk of your fighting correct yeah most of the units you know a vast majority are just kind of like backline secure models anyway so they mm -hmm. could be almost anything you know they're just sitting you know, stationary and holding buildings to generate your power dice. Right. So um, the competitive lists, you do start to see them become a little bit more specialist heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and that is one thing I will say. And the, because the specialist models are spread out amongst a lot of different blisters. Yeah. So if you're a player that kind of likes to have more of a toolkit versus uh, like focus, you know what I mean? Like the more defensive players that like to have lots of options and be a jack of all trades, master of none, will have a little bit of trouble, you know, collection building because you're going to have to get a lot of stuff um, to get that. Yeah. So let me let me just give a quick anecdote about what he's talking about here. So um, from the protector point of view, there's a unit called the Shadowgate. Um, one, one of the best units for protectors. Um, it's really cool because someone else, uh, there's another unit called Interceptor, I don't remember. Um, the Interceptor, can, yep. Yep, that can drop it down and basically summon it um, outside the space. So it's really important to have a lot of both of those. Um, but they're only available as the one of in a five unit box. And so like, if you wanted like 10 of them, you have to buy the 10 like $20 boxes and have like 40 models you're not going to use. People start getting fantasy flight flashbacks. Of yeah. Just how all of their games work. And yeah. and I was about, I was going to get pissed off of the game because of that. But when we're out of pandemic times and at least beforehand, they, they allowed you to single order them. So they're like five bucks a piece. You don't have to get anything extra. Um, and yes. so that makes it way, way easier. Yeah. They did used to have a, a robust, I mean, robust, they had all of the models available as singles out of the unit blisters. Um, I think, I think I talked to I talked to somebody at Privateer Press and they said it was mostly just a staffing issue because somebody has to yeah. go through and and price them individually and then get them posted to the web store and the web store is like kind of under construction. So I do believe we'll see a return to the singles market, uh, you know, post COVID type stuff. 
Well, it would be a goddamn crime if they didn't. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's in the works. Um, I will say, and I don't know if this is like a like an insider secret or something, you know, how well advertised you <laughs> want this. But if you email front desk at privateerpress.com and just let them know, you know, that you're looking for specific things that aren't available as singles, they usually hook you up with an invoice and they'll, oh, they'll do like a yeah, side that's a, thing for you. That's yeah, that's the thing. I, I know a lot of people, and this is the case with just about any bit, to be honest. If there's bits for War Machine models that you're looking for that are not on their store, email them. You'd be surprised how often you can get them. I, I've, I've gotten all kinds of weird well, stuff that way. Especially if you're clear, like, hey, I'm happy to give you money for these things. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, you're right. And maybe you'll pay a, pay a little bit more of a premium, but it's better to be able to play the game, right? For sure. Yeah, I mean, you will you will pay more of a premium, and they, they are priced. You know, you, you get, uh, you know, you can call it a premium, but, you know, I like to look at it as you get a discount for buying the unit blisters, you know, and then you have to pay full price, you know, if you do it the other way. Um, but but they will have an option to get singles, and, and then I think it gets a lot less intimidating, um, you know, as a new player buying in. You know, you, you just go and do like a custom order for the, for the exact list that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last thing before we start talking about like list building and tournaments, um, let's talk about buildings. I know buildings are a big sticking point for the game. They are. And, and that's fair, man, because, you know, we like to play with toys. Like there's definitely terrain junkies out there and people that like building boards and, and building stuff but but i could appreciate the the distrust because i'm not one of them you know like yeah i'll, I'll appreciate a nice board you know like i'll, I'll shake your hand and, and congratulate you on what a great job you know that you did but building terrain building boards is not for me it always looks like garbage uh, i can't do it right i don't have the time i don't have the patience um, so, so the buildings can be, uh, you know, a little intimidating, a little frustrating, you know, and some of them are expensive, you know, and, yeah. and that's like a fair criticism. But I will say you don't need as nearly as many as people think you do, especially when you're starting out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, well, I also want, before we start talking about ways to get around the expense, um, let's just talk about how awesome the buildings are and how much, how oh, much sure. it is yeah, to yeah. set up a game, set up a game. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. We can, we can back up a little bit. I guess I thought we were going in yeah. a different direction. No buildings yeah. are great. Yeah. They, they are a really important part of the game itself. And that's because after you selected your map, you go into a city draft phase. It's like a pregame phase where players alternate placing buildings onto the field you know and right away you have options of uh like a naughty or nice mechanic because there's junk buildings that have negative implications that you can throw you can place them in your opponent's deployment there's no like my side your side when you're drafting the city you just build stuff so you can put these junk buildings or these hate buildings on your opponent's side of the board or you can bring, you know, the the nice to have, you know, these premium buildings and try to fill your side before your opponent gets any ideas on wanting to disrupt what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's actually really cool because because it just like with maps, like you build your list around it, and so like the trying to get the map set up right so that it actually supports your list is really interesting. And then during the course of the game, it gets disrupted, and you kind of have to like readjust. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's just kind of the, they're all like little building blocks that feed into 
you know, the competitive side of it, you know, things that you care about, you know, when you're trying to take a competitive approach to it. Uh, right now, the the meta just in general online is really big on these media company buildings and they increase the cost of uh, actions uh, for both mm -hmm. units and monsters. But as soon as you start driving away from these action heavy you know, models, then the media company buildings become way less valuable, you know, because they're not disrupting anything. Right. So you can, you have these kind of organic meta evolutions based around that sort of thing, you know, and we ended up with the media companies in the first place because people were getting frustrated with, you know, the actions were getting too good, <laughs> you know, so then it's yeah. like, if you don't want to see actions, you throw media buildings in, if you want to use actions and you can kind of move them out, you get different decisions yeah. based around that. And we and we didn't mention it, but um, all of these are like you build you build a pool and you bring what you want each game, and I think that adds a really cool element to it of like you know you have these specific pieces you want and don't want. Yeah, list construction is really really tight because, like you said, you only get a, a specific you know set number of of options, and then that also feeds into map selection. You know, is is how many buildings do you get to place on each map? You have really light building maps like um, the Isles of Annihilation. The volcano ma map has the least number of buildings mm -hmm. versus maps, you know, like um, Destruction Junction and Carnage Corners, a lot more building dense. So, you know, those are other things that like a casual player probably isn't going to be thinking about, you know, like, oh, man, I want like a 24 building map to make sure that I get everything out. It's just going to be like, let's go to the volcano because it's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and both are, are totally fine, but it's just that, it's that you know, attention to detail that you get mm -hmm. when you're looking for it. Okay, so now we can go back to complaining about buildings. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so so then the complaints are, you know, people don't want to buy buildings. Um, When you, you construct your list, you get 12, you have access to 12 building slots, you know, and people are like, holy crap, I don't want to buy like 12 bricks of resin just to play this game. You don't have to. Because number one, like we said, which map you play on determines which buildings or how many buildings that you actually place. So you're never, ever going to place all. Uh, are you ever? There's one with 11. To... I didn't think there was one with 12. I think that's correct. Yeah. So yeah. so at most, you're ever going to place 11 buildings. And even then, you're only going to get three or four, maybe four, that you even care about. Yeah. The rest are like junk buildings or utility stuff or the mid board that just gets smashed anyway. And if you want to get really tricky, you can bring fewer buildings than the total, and then your opponent has to put their last ones down. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. So, so you have options there, you know. And uh, the starter boxes all come with um, these little paper fold up apartment buildings, which are just generic, low defense, no rules, filler buildings. It was kind of the original junk building. So, you know, you can, and those paper apartments are everywhere, you know, like uh, P, every starter box comes with like a whole bunch of them. So, uh, and, and it's a legal model to use. So you can just fill in the rest of your list with these kind of apartment junk buildings and you can put all of them on your opponent's side of the board and just see what buildings <laughs> they give you, you know, and then it's like a surprise every game. <laughs> well, and that's actually, a, there's, there's several monsters who are supposed to like, hit a building and kill everything around it. And so the apartment buildings are extremely good for that, even at a high end. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. There, there's apartment buildings in, in high end lists or like competitive lists also. Yeah. So it's really, really nice to have. All right. And then as a, from a personal point of view, um, 
I I was ex- I I haven't played since the uh, construction yard came out, and that was like sixty bucks. It, please tell me it's like not a two of in every list. No, and, and it's not um, a sixty dollar purchase twice either. Mm-hmm. Um, the the construction yard you pay when you buy the sixty dollar kit. Um, they sell it bundled with all of the potential assets that it can bring. The construction yard puts down little terrain bops, like little single space terrain pieces uh, that that impact the game. Think scatter um, terrain. Yeah, yeah, think scatter terrain. So, uh, and and it, it's dynamic, and you can do it in the middle of the game and all this stuff. And they bundled it together with all of the potential assets that you can build and a um, like campaign type. Uh, kit that gives you rules for campaign play and and more narrative play so that's what the 60 dollar box comes with um it is kind of worth it you know the the campaign is actually really really good uh just as a super quick side tangent it has um like rules for building your home base city and and all this stuff yeah no it it is really cool for like casual play uh at, at your local store and everything yeah. And then there's like attackers and defenders, and you have to defend your own base, and it's like set up exactly how you want it. Yeah, but then well, like, people, like people a, really, people really love the Oblivion campaign, and so they've been they've been knocking it out of the park with these campaigns lately. Yep, it's it's been super cool. But they they do sell the construction yard on its own, and it's actually cheap. It's only like thirteen or fourteen bucks because it's like a little metal thing. Mm-hmm. And then they also sell the assets uh, separately. So if you only want the construction yard and, and the assets and, and have like a you know very specific plan that you want to do with it, you can just pick up those models and and it works just fine. Okay, good. Um, okay, so then let's so we we've kind of danced around the subject, but let's talk about what's cool about bringing a list to a tournament with with Monpoc. What what are the kind of things that you think about? Yep. So it's a it's a top down approach. Um, you start your list with um, selecting your monster pair. Which two monsters are you going to bring? Mm-hmm. And again, you have this really really high rate of playability uh, and competitive balance. There's definitely monsters that are a little above the curve. Well, there's definitely I, monsters. Well, let's go through like the five monsters that you're like. What do I expect my opponent to bring, and I would need to be prepared for. Um. Sure. So, I mean, it's it's actually even a little hard to do that. Really? That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Um, because the uh, the competitive scene, and, and they're doing lots of um, data tracking and stuff with these TTS online things, you know, makes it, all, the data a lot easier to collect. Um, there is a really, really good variety of competitive lists and coming from the competitive players. Uh, I think the easy ones, the big boogeyman list is on the protector side is Kraken Octus and Armadax is a pair together. Um, <laughs> I know who's the person who's playing that because <laughs> he's been so playing, reason, playing. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, the reasons that's scary is it's a double 12 health monster list. So you have to deal with 24 um, health versus some monsters have as low as 10. And you have Armadax, who's really good at generating power dice, and he's resilient to certain types of damage because he's kind of like a turtle dinosaur monster. But there are two players running that list in, in I think we had 34 or 36 mm-hmm. total. So even then, um, you know, it, it's not like super ultra prevalent 
and then even though that's like considered a, a boogeyman pair, uh, there's lots of ways to play around it and different things that you can do. Um, particularly with armor decks, he, he's something, somebody that comes up a lot. It's like new players get frustrated playing against him um, because he's, he's immune to building damage. You have to focus on unit damage and throwing him into fire and, and all this stuff. But he's terrible in a, in a 1v1 or a 2v1 matchup. So if you hyper focus and go after the other monster as like hard as you can, then Armadax is a lot more manageable. And there's some other things you can do to kind of bully him and, and corral him around. Um, even though he's kind of considered this, you know, uh, like competitive or he's like a, like a pub stomp. I don't know what you would call it type monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, the, the, the newbie track. Mm-hmm. right yeah yeah that, yeah he's like a newbie check you know but the yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember i don't remember the term we have for it but there's there was someone like that in like malifo that was like yeah yeah <laughs> you're going to lose to him if you're a new player we're well aware <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah but uh so those two are you see a lot um on the destroyer side you see a lot of tharsis five um and that's because he is a monster that has a or repair or it's like a construct ability on on the front of his card so he can rebuild the city as he's going that's good which allows... i really like tharsis <laughs> yeah he's, he was he's one of my fantastic. favorites yeah um and he's got a lot of competitive flex he's like an extremely high skill cap uh monster so uh, he's somebody that, that um that you'll see a fair bit of but uh, other than those guys um it's it's really uh, you know you see a lot of the newer monsters uh, a lot but just because it's new and exciting um well, but there I'm, I'm glad to hear i'm glad to hear that i'm wrong about glavicus because i stopped playing right as he came out and i'm like that guy seems unbeatable <laughs> yeah glavicus is one of the stronger ones for destroyers but he kind of uh, falls into similar play patterns um of Armadax because he's slower, he's not super mobile, and I think Globicus is actually kind of the opposite. You want to go after him, I think. Oh. I kind of go back and forth. <laughs> um, but I think you go after him just so that he, he can't split on his own terms. You want to split him early if you can. But but that's the thing, is that even though these monsters are, are at the high end of the curve, like none of them are unbeatable. Uh, you know, because of the fundamental, you know, it kind of circles back to the way the game is fundamentally the same. You know, all the monsters are capable of doing the same things. So you just have to modify your game plan a little bit to to address what's going on. Well, I've never been happier to be wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's been really, really good. The the variety in, in the competitive list is like, I think, one of the strongest selling points of the game. Cool. Okay. Um, and then, okay. So now you've picked your monsters. You, you, I don't know, you picked your, your favorites. You picked the one that's really fast and irritating and you picked one that's more standard. Now, what do you, what, where do you go? Where do you look at you? Like, do you go to units next? Yep. Yeah. So you go to units next and the units kind of get determined by the monsters you're bringing. There's going to be a, a couple staple units, probably like five to 10 models in your list are going to be staples that, out of 20. Uh, kind of right yeah out of 20 yeah so you mm-hmm. so you get 20 units you get the two monsters you get 20 units and you have five to ten models that kind of reflect your personal play style your preference and that are just kind of generally good utility stuff mm-hmm. um you know so the protectors they're probably going to bring some repair trucks 
Um, you know, so they'll bring some defense for securing models, whether it's the steel shell crabs or the G tanks, you know, on the destroyer side, you're going to want crawlers. You're going to want, you know, um, something to deal with, you know, backline invasions, you know, it's, it's like you have this fundamental stuff. And then the other half of your list is going to be built around, you know, what your monsters are doing. You know, some monsters buff units offensively versus defensively. Um, this is where your faction identity comes into play. You, you do have protectors and destroyers where everything is mixed and blended together. But m a lot of the buffs that come from the monsters will have faction-specific buffs onto your units. Um, the easy example, uh, Terracon on the protector side gives all of your uh, Terrasaur monsters plus one speed. So you bring more Pterosaurs in that list because they're all going to be faster. You know, you kind of get mileage out of that one. Right. You know, and then it kind of builds out. And, and you know, the cool factor kind of plays into it, too, you know, because you're building out based on, you know, your faction and based on what works with your monsters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then, and buildings are even more like that, where you've got a couple of staples and then it's like you take get like four or five slots that are hyper focused on what your monsters do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what your monsters are do, and I think the building, you get 12 buildings that you can bring, and this is probably where your biggest um, flex can be to deal with meta issues or to deal with monsters that, that have been giving you problems or, or that you want to have answers for. Um, in keeping with the Armadax uh, example, Armadax players are going to want to bring a lot of incombustible buildings that don't leave fire on the board because he's immune to the buildings, but he's not immune to the fire. So if you're worried about running into Armadax, you're going to make sure that you have nothing in your list that's incombustible so that you can put as much fire down as possible. And you might even want to bring units that can turn uh, rubble tiles into hazard fire tiles, um, you know, to kind of help make the board a little bit more dangerous to get around on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I always remember, like, there's a reroll one, I like that one, but then, yeah, the stuff like the incombustible mount's really a big deal, um, and then, like, everyone loves Mount Terra, but especially if you're going to summon the dinosaurs, too. Yep, and, and they've been taking, um, the building balance uh, has been really, really interesting, because they've definitely been pushing the envelope with what the buildings can do and what they're capable of, <laughs> but you still only get 12 options. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're well, really I, excited about the. Go ahead. Well, I, I was gonna say that's saying something because so, the Sun Industries building uh, defined the game when I was playing. So the fact they're still pushing is insane. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and the Sun Industry buildings are are still really really strong, but people are having more and more of a hard time getting them into the list. You know, because number mm -hmm. one, all the buildings are destructible. So, you know, the Sun Industries, you know, people that don't like them, they're not going to bring extras for you to jump in and out of. And they're just going to run up and punch it with their monster first turn, and then you don't have it anymore. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but you, the, the list is so claustrophobic, you know, you, you want to bring everything and you can't. And the maps are claustrophobic because you're like halfway through building deployment. And you're like, wait a minute, like I still have all this stuff that I want to put out. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. The, the combos you dreamed up in your head is like, well, if I have a Statue of Liberty and two Mount Terra, it's like, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's never gonna happen. And it's all super telegraphed. You know, it's like if you put down a Statue of Liberty, 
and then a Mal, your first Malterra, I can see you have another one like in the wings ready to go. I'm going to start throwing junk buildings out your way, mm-hmm. you know, and then now you're just now you have to put your Malterra like on my side because there's no room well, for it left. Right. And that's an advanced concept where there's there's specific spots where it's easy to double control. And so, yeah, so, yeah, so knowing when they're trying to build something there is really important. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so you've built your list. Um, you get paired with your first opponent. What do you look at in their list to see what's going to determine how you play? So who to punch first is a really important question. And, and I don't know. I, this is a topic that I've, I've thought about a lot, and I can't even... I'm I'm afraid of it to go into it with my podcast. Like, <laughs> we'll it's talk not going to be a ten it. minute episode. <laughs> no, it's not going to be a ten minute episode. And I don't know. I don't know the answer. You know, it, it's yeah. it's partially a gut feeling. It's partially like uncertainty. Um, but who well, you go after first is I, is a like really to, important decision. Huh? As as a fellow podcaster, I'd like to point out that that means it's a really good topic for a series where you're trying to explore the issue and like answer certain aspects and like how you think about it i think i think that'd be a really great way to go oh yeah that's that's a good point yeah maybe i'll do yeah like a like a series we'll have to do a couple parts um because it's a really complex topic um and the reason that it's complex for again for war gamers that aren't familiar with monpoc there's a couple of things to break down here number one each monster has an alpha side um, which is their, their first form that they start the game in. And then when they take about half damage, they go into hyperform. So your first decision is, is hyperform management, you know, because you, the one thing you don't want to do is, is do barely enough damage to flip a really powerful monster into a really strong hyperform and then pass the turn and let them like go buck wild with it, <laughs> you know? So yeah. there are some situations where you don't deal as much damage as you could because you need to wait until you can like burst that hyperform down and and then figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and conversely, like some uh, may, maybe very few, but a couple monsters prefer to be in alpha form. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> so it's like you got to identify those. And, um, mm-hmm. So those. so those are things you want to look at: how strong each alpha form is, how strong each hyperform is, and then figure out where you want to start picking at first. You know, and your opponent is going to be doing the exact same thing in reverse. They're going to be like. You know, I really want them to kill this monster. You know, you're here to like offer up the sacrifice. You're like, please fight this guy first and leave the other one alone because this is going to be way better for me over the course of the game if it plays out that way. Yeah, so there's that kind of bluffing aspect too. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's all about resource like tug of war. It's resource allocation. Um, Monster Apocalypse is a very aggressive game in that there's nothing that you can't do. It's just it's more of at what cost. You know, so if you really want to get to their other monster, you're going to be able to get there, but you're going to have to spend one activation, like clearing a screen, and then you have to spend a bunch of dice to like step forward and speed your monster up, and then you're going to get there, and then your turn's going to be over. So mm-hmm. I hope it well, was worth it. And and one of the resources you spend is how much risk you're willing to take. Yes. Like yep. I've noticed that a lot, where it's like I can get this insane turn, but it relies on hitting two seventy percenters. Yes. Yep. So, so the risk management is a is a big component, and that's what I try to to teach to newer players or players, you know, they're getting frustrated. Is, you know, don't think about you know, you know what your potential stuff is. Like, think about how sad are you going to be if you miss this next attack. Yeah. You know, well, and then you see people yeah. start shuffling more dice into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it, it, this is a familiar conundrum for War Machine players, but um, yes. like imagine you're getting down to the end of a War Machine game and you've only got you know two Warjacks on two Warjacks. Like if you miss that throw, the game is over. Yes. Yeah, we. I know the the joke between like everybody I play, especially I played a lot at like Lock and Load, the last one that actually occurred, and uh, the joke started to be every time was like, and one more white die just in case. Just every <laughs> yeah. just every single time it was one more. One <laughs> just, more. Just yeah. <laughs> That was the most shocking thing that happened to me when I when I first went to a tournament and Mike was there. Um, when I was demoing the game, when I was playing locally, I'm like, and there's this white white stat, and it, it's however many white dice you can use. It doesn't matter. You're always going to do one. And then we're talking about cracked octopus. He's like, yeah, he's so fucking broken because he could roll like all of your white dice. I'm like, why would you want to? <laughs> and then yeah, like this whole new avenue of the game woke up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the white dice are, are a big component, and then there's um, there's becoming more and more monsters that interact with the white dice. Like some of them re-roll them, uh, some of them do extra damage if you roll like the equivalent of a six. Like if you get a double strike on the white dice, so um, they've they've been expanding into that one a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that stat really matters. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that white dice stat matters a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I it, to me that's like. to me that's so much of the fun part of the game is that those early days of just nobody knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> You're all figuring yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a brand new. You know, I mean, I know they had um, 1.0, but but from my understanding, this is like a a whole different uh, can oh, yeah. of worms. There's some pretty critical design differences, um, and and people been exploring and having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, most importantly, they made the dice bigger and chunkier and more fun to roll. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is a power dice game, and I know there's power dice or not power dice, uh, strike dice game, and another strike dice apologist out there, but I actually like it in this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it works. It works. I, I also did not like it when I first started, um, but it, yeah. it kind of grows on you, and it makes sense once you understand the math of it. Um, it gets cool. a lot better. Yeah. And now I've been playing strike dice in like three games pretty regularly, and it's like okay. I gotta get it. These are actually pretty clever dice. Yeah. Um, I, the game designer me really loves the dice are both a resource and the thing you're using to like randomize. Yes. I, oh yeah. I thought that was really cool design. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And the way that the dice play back and forth between, because as you spend dice from one pool, you know they go mm-hmm. into your other pool, being unit and monster. So when you take a unit turn, you do things with your units. It shuffles over into your monster pool and vice versa. So yeah. that's number one, that's a really one, neat. Yeah, that's one of the first light bulb moments in the demo phase was when people were like, oh, I can try and do like a lot of monster turns in a row, and then one big unit turn, and then do it over again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And but that's also telegraphed to your opponent, you know, which yeah. is going back, rolling back into the competitive thing. You know, mm-hmm. that is open information that you have, and that you mm-hmm. make decisions around. You know, even though they might have uh, two dice available to take a like minimalist monster turn, you're gonna have some understanding of like what that monster turn is gonna be capable of doing, and you can kind of make your own risk management or risk assessment based on that. You know, whereas like mm-hmm. their monster turn is gonna suck next turn, and their unit turn is a little bit, you know. So like, let me go in and make decisions based around that. Right. Yeah, and then, and that's the 40 chess <laughs> that we can mm-hmm. play yourself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just an, another dial that you can start to turn and, and look at. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and then um I just want you to <laughs> I just want you to go through what you talked about with me with uh first versus second turn and maps. Uh, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> okay, yeah. So first versus second turn, the second player, you know, whoever goes second gets to choose the maps. And that is the equivalent of a war machine player choosing uh, you know, what scenario they go into. Yeah. Well, and there's I'd, lots I'd like to point out that it, there's a reason he's saying scenario. It's not. It's actually even stronger than like the WTC choosing which table you're playing at. I, I think so. Yeah, especially as we yeah. get more maps and you're getting more options, because you start to think about things like you know the distances of the the spawn nodes, uh, you know, to different objectives on the board. The number of buildings that are on each map matters. Uh, certain maps are, you know, w we call it pedestrian friendly. You know, or certain maps are more open for monsters that don't fly or don't have high mobility. And there's other maps that are more claustrophobic and more restrictive. Um, even though the, the tiles are standardized, it's, it's like a standardized size board. Certain maps like um, Obliteration Boulevard is the newest map, uh, has really, really far forward unit spawns, which lets you make really aggressive disruption plays and can dig into the opponent's backline versus other maps that are a little bit farther apart don't have those lines of attack. Uh, so the the map selection is like huge, really, really important. Uh, and you can, you can almost build lists around, you know, certain maps and planning on seeing certain things based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, that's why I love the volcano so much. It's like, yeah, I'm going to turn the whole center of the board into something that always damages you. I don't care if you fly. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the volcano map uh, is interesting because that map ha it has the volcano in the middle, which, which is really exciting and, and a fun, neat thing. But it also has like a, the fewest by far by like a lot. It has almost like mm -hmm. very, very little number of building spaces. So what that does is it slows the game down because you're not getting like uh, thrown into back to back, you know, double buildings and all this stuff. It's like lower damage map and it's a lower power dice generation map. So it allows for, it, it requires like a different line of thinking and allows for a lot more back and forth versus like a rapid cycle, you know, yeah. first one to blink loses kind of game. Yeah, and it's a, a it's a really good way to mess with your opponent's first turn advantage. It's a really good way to mess with like their planned like building base. It's, yeah, I, I, I love Volcano. <laughs> yeah, the Volcano map is still really, really good. I've had a lot of success on that one just because like you said, it throws people through a loop. It's, it's not a very popular map, but it's very, very different. Well, I, every every strategic conversation I've had with Monster Apocalypse since involved you, so <laughs> my strategy is going to be close to yours. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about um, about Monpoc in general? Um, I think just in general, uh, I encourage people to to give it a try. Uh, you know, Privateer Press is really onto something. I think they have something really special with this game. Uh, and, and people are really willing, you know, even with the pandemic type stuff, um, there's a really great, uh, you know, tabletop simulator mod that people have been using. Um, and, and there's an active discord community, active tournaments, 
whatever you want. If, if you want demo games, you know, if you want competitive games, if you want to just casual games, uh, reach out to, to myself, you know, or get in touch with, with any of the other guys that can direct you. You know, people are here to, to play games and, and to get you into it and answer questions, you know, whatever you have. And, and hesitate I'd, to reach out. I'd like to specifically plug the Monster Room list builder. It has all the monster rules, all the unit rules, all the building rules. So you can go through and just see, oh, that seems really broken. And then you can go on the Discord and have people tell you why it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, why um, it is, you know, like, yeah, yeah, when everything's broken, nothing is. Right. Yeah. So, um, and it's so I just enjoy building lists for games I don't play, but it the the so the app's really great because it has just all the rules in a really convenient place. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's monsterroom.app. You said. Yeah. There's another one, right? I don't remember. Yeah. There is. There's a, a list builder I think on monpoc.net. There's two list builders out there, and both of them um, are are pretty good. Um. But like you said, the the monster room one has uh, has a really nice interface. You know, it's nice, easy to read, and and it does come with uh, you know all the stuff that you need. And you can check it out. Yep. Yeah, it's all all free. <laughs> nice. Well, and especially during the pandemic, like nobody's playing in real life, so you don't have to worry about buying it until a couple months from now. <laughs> exactly. Very cool. Awesome. Well. I think that's kind of bringing us to the end of of uh, talking about this, but uh, man, now I want to play Monpoc. <laughs> I haven't thought of, I have so many I have so many games, and it's just like one of them. But I might have to paint some stuff because uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like I I kind of had forgotten how much I really enjoyed playing it because I we just I stopped traveling, and that's usually when I played it was randomly at conventions with people. Oh, it's super easy to transport too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I just threw it in with my like other stuff with my war machine. It was super easy. Pretty, pretty low, low model count. The buildings aren't like fragile, so you can kind of get, <laughs> you can kind of just put them, put them wherever they fit for the most part. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. So, uh, in closing, I want to give a big thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon. You guys are absolutely awesome. Uh, if you want to check that out, it's patreon.com slash LOS War Machine. We kind of just call it our tip jar. Uh, we don't have anything locked behind it, anything like that. Um, and it, yeah, it's amazing how much support we've received over, especially in the past, you know, year or whatever, when everybody's situation has been so chaotic. So thanks so much for that. You guys are awesome. Uh, also, I lost track of my page. Where did it go? Uh, also, job, Chandler. <laughs> I, I have a, I, yes, that's it. I was going to say I have a few jobs, but no, this is pretty much it. Uh, so I'm going to give big thanks to Tyson at figurepainters.com. He is an awesome dude. Uh, he is, of course, the one who runs the Las Vegas Open War Machine stuff. Super awesome guy. Uh, his website is figurepainters.com. He's got a whole bunch of Really cool, like, uh, bases for, uh, like, base inserts, things like that for uh, all kinds of different styles that are really cool. Uh, he also just does the most mad science hobby stuff you've ever seen in your life. So if you ever want to see that, it's good times. Uh, yeah, figurepainters.com. Just go check that out. Um, if you want to find the stuff that we got going on, you can find our Facebook, which is Line of Sight. That's kind of the conglomerate point for everything that we do. So it's probably the best bet for just kind of seeing everything. Um, you can also check out our website, which is loswarmachine.com. You can also check out our Discord, where there is like LFG stuff for like every Privateer Press thing, uh, including Brawl Machine and Fallen Corvus for our stuff. Um, 
do, 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 you can find all that stuff on our Discord, which we have a link to in our show notes, typically. Uh, yeah. You can also email us at lbswarmhords at gmail.com for a little slow to respond to that. Sorry, it doesn't get used much, so there we go. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. Mike, is there anything you want to plug or talk about or say hi or shout out or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, just check out uh, Vicarious Competition. So that's that's where uh, a lot, all this content's been posted. Uh, we post it five days a week. I usually try to get it out as early as possible in the morning for, for people's morning commutes and that kind of thing for those of us that are going to work. And uh, January, it was like a 2021 kind of pet project thing. So January is in the books. We've got a you know full full month of 20 episodes, and February is trucking along. So I've uh, been pretty happy with it so far. Yeah. Very nice. Well, and yeah, as a personal note, I, I I really love your format. I really think it's a great idea because yeah, like sure you don't know like the technical side of it, but you're working on it. And you're improving, and just by being consistent like that, you're going to get way better. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, with me, I started out by going, yeah, I've edited an audio once, and <laughs> yeah, that's this many years later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Thanks for uh, having me, guys. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, check out his stuff. And uh, then yeah, out. when when we turn this into a Bonpak podcast, we'll bring you back on. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> This is a perfect plan. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you all next week.
Bye, güey.